0: hello beautiful magical listeners welcome back to another episode of sex love and what else matters hi guys hi luke and today we have a very special guest with us. I'm very, very excited. We would like to welcome Zach Brittle to the podcast. How are Hi. you, Zach?
1: I'm okay. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thanks.
0: Zach is a couples therapist and author, which yeah. I cannot wait to talk about your book because I want to hear all about this. Uh, best-selling author of the book, The Relationship Alphabet and the Marriage Therapy Journal. Um, and you're based in... you in, in Seattle. You're in Seattle? Amazing. Yep. Yeah, um, And we we don't have your partner with us today, Laura, but next yeah. time. Yeah. Uh,
1: Laura's in Bend, Oregon. We are teaching partners. We have a podcast called Marriage Therapy Radio that we do together. But my real partner is Rebecca. She's my wife. We've been married 20, almost 26 years. We like to say we've been happily married 24 Amazing. out of 26 years. So <laughs> we have two That's- that were kind of bumpy, but... Um, Maybe a little bit more, but it normalizes it for people, I think, a little bit. So
0: I love the way that you just worded that. Were those two like in the beginning, in the middle?
1: No, one was like number eight, and the other was like 18. And it's always ups and downs, right? But I think there were two years in particular, two specific years in particular, that were definitely more challenging than others. So
0: I love how open you are to like talking about that.
1: Yeah, I think you have to be. I mean, I don't think there's... I mean, to be honest, in my private practice, when people come and they talk about wanting to meet with me, It's the one sentence in my bio that they get the most excited about, that I'm not this guy who's sort of figured out marriage and made it amazing and that I understand it perfectly, but that I actually have also kind of muscled through it myself. So it's a clever little marketing sentence, but it's also true.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So so with those years being so far apart, was that... Uh, situation where like things built up over time and then kind of came to a head and then it just became this like longer path back?
1: A little bit. I mean, I think I I can give you two kind of insights into that. One is there's a very popular statistic out there that about 50% of marriages end in in divorce. We don't really think it's that high. Like it's like when I would say we, I mean, kind of people in my business. We think it's closer to 40. Research sort of tends to suggest that. But what we do know is that most marriages that end in divorce end inside of seven years. It's usually around year four, and there's usually a toddler in the mix. So for us, that was about statistically correct. It was year eight, there was a toddler in the mix, and we just had kind of run into a buzzsaw that, that we weren't expecting. And that created a whole bunch of other dynamics that led to us drifting apart. The second one was more, I think just more connected to life events. And we kind of got on cruise control and forgot to take care of each other. And a lot of stuff cropped up and, and it distracted us from the relationship. So in both cases, we did a lot of really good work on the back end to look at it and examine it, repair it and make it work. Because... I think that's ultimately what it's about is doing the work.
0: I have a lot of friends who say, you know, like, well, it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard. And I agree to that. I agree with that to a point. But I think that a lot of people think relationships should just be so effortless. And I think the opposite. I think it's effortful. Like you have to put in the work because things you know, it it shouldn't be a struggle 24 seven. I mean, then you really have to step back and look at it in my experience, but it's not magic, you know?
1: (laughs) No, not at all. And I think that's part of the big myth is that, you know, certainly early on in a relationship, there is a magical thing. It's called limerence. Um, and it lasts about two years where the relationship is run on adrenaline and novelty and newness and sort of trying things out. And, but the, you know, you get you crest about you crest that, and you sort of learned all the stuff, and you know all the things, and the patterns aren't going away, and that that annoying thing that you used to do isn't as cute anymore. Now you really have to decide, like, okay, who are we going to be here? Like, what do we what do we do with this new reality? So I think there is something at the front end that feels as it should new and good, and it kind of makes you it's you suspend a little bit of judgment early on because it's so exciting, and when that's once that wears off, yeah, it becomes a a real piece of piece of work. And and I, I don't want to rely too heavily on that word, but what I tell clients all the time is that I don't think therapy works. Couples work. And sometimes they use therapy. Sometimes they use a podcast. Sometimes they use a self help book. Sometimes they use TikTok. Sometimes you know, but when couples are interested in doing the work, then I think it's just a matter of finding the right resource to help you do that.
2: That's kind of my take on marriage. Obviously I've never been married. But if- I don't
1: know. Obviously I don't even know who you guys are. Are you, are you married <laughs> <not married?
0: laughs> Well, neither of us have ever been married. And we've been dating for...
2: Six-ish. We don't really have like a start time because we were like seeing each other, but not officially or whatever. Long distance. Didn't know if it was going to become something more. And then we actually started this podcast together in November. And I mean, at that point, we were pretty much had crossed the line, but not called it what it was. You know, we were together. And so we say basically six-ish months now. It's
0: still kind of... It's like half long distance and...
2: Yeah, I'm leaving like... After this, to go back to Colorado for a couple of weeks, where he lives. Right. So,
0: I think for us, it escalated quickly in the
2: timeline. Like, I don't feel that. it, I feel like we're like at the two-year mark already.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things se- seem to have sped up for sure. What I was getting okay. to was that with my all my friends, I've been in a lot of ma- uh, a lot of weddings. Um, my friends that have been married a long time. My parents divorced after 26 years, and I have friends that have been married for 20 years happily and almost divorced multiple times. You know, so it's like yeah in my opinion, what I can see is that when you have two parties that are committed to each other and willing to work on it, it can make it. There's no perfect yeah. person, essentially. Yeah.
1: No, in fact, it's uh, I mean, I think there's a, there's a myth about marriage that I think is really problematic, which is that it's somehow it is the, the pinnacle. It's the, it's the answer. It's the end all be all. And I think that's probably more true about a wedding, like, cause it's this big, amazing party and everybody looks pretty and and it's, it feels really great and weddings are wonderful, but marriages are totally different things. Marriages are long labors and people will talk about how it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And I hate that metaphor. I'd really do because it's neither. It's just running. It's running until one of you, until you die or you get divorced. <laughs> um, and so part of it is what are you going to do with that journey, that running? Like, what is it? And, and what do you do when it gets hard? And do you, do you kind of lean into the challenge, or do you bail? And I think we have created a, a a circumstance, a culture, really, where bailing isn't as stigmatized as it used to be. Divorce isn't as problematic as it as it maybe once was. And so the question of what is a marriage now becomes really relevant because if it's just something you're doing for fun, or if it's convenient, or it's you know you got to find out kind of what is it what is it that you're signing up for? Because you could do as you guys are presently doing, long term committed relationship without the marriage. You can also do a marriage without a long-term committed relationship, you know? So what is the thing that you're trying to, to build and does a marriage help you do that? I think, I think in my case, it certainly has, but you know, it's not always the case.
0: Huh? Like just the way, yeah. The way you word things, it's so interesting kind of to think about it, even in my own life and my, in my past relationships going like, why did I, yeah, why why was every guy, the guy I was going to marry? Hmm, you know, <laughs> that's a good question,
1: and, which of course says a lot more about you than does about those guys. Right. Like, right. Absolutely. If every guy is the guy you're going to marry, then something there's something about you that's relevant in that.
0: Right. That's what my therapist. Says. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: I do appreciate, though, the the compliment, the idea of the way I word things. I think yeah. one of the things I think therapy should do, I think it's the thing I'm good at. I think it's the thing that we do. Laura and I on the podcast is we do want people to go, huh? I've never thought about it like that before. Cause I think we get in trouble when we think we know what we think. Yes. Right. Like there's a thing that we'll talk about a lot called the sin of certainty, you know? And if you are committed and you absolutely are certain that you know what the what the deal is, then you're gonna get into a lot of trouble. But when you can come in with some curiosity and some openness and maybe even some some awareness that there are people out there who think very differently than you for very good reasons, it opens up a lot of opportunity for you. We did an episode a couple couple months ago with a gal who had been in the adult film industry for 13 years, and she was one of the most thoughtful people about sex and love and marriage that I've ever talked to. And I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Talked right. to a biblical scholar about kind of what most people think the Bible says about marriage and what it actually says. And we were like, huh, I didn't see that coming. And then it opens up a whole new world of possibility for you.
0: So I, I'm curious, we have like a million questions for you, but yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm curious, sure. like how you feel as an expert in your field and someone who is in, you know, a marriage and how how do you feel or what is your experience with either patients or guests um, or even yourself about long, long distance relationships?
1: My wife and I, when we first got together, we I was living in Philadelphia and she was living in Connecticut, we're t- two hours apart. And our whole entire engagement was long distance, but it was long distance before texting or email or, you know, zoom or anything. I mean, so we had to like, I'll call you on this landline number. The second ER is over. And we would talk like every Thursday night at 11 o'clock, you know, for now this, we, we now live in an age that the world is very, very flat. Like you, you have access to each other sort of constantly in your hip pocket because of text or zoom or whatever else. And um, so I, th- I don't really think that the distance is the issue, right? Mm-hmm. The distance is just an, an obstacle to overcome. When we're assessing clients early on in a relationship, which is part of what you do in couples therapy, is you get to you get to hear their story. If their story is loaded with obstacles and traumas and tribulations mm-hmm. and difficulties, then that's going to be predictive of how they think about the future of the relationship. It's an obstacle. It's a trauma. It's a diff- It's a difference. Mm-hmm. If the story they tell you about their relationship is loaded with how they overcame an obstacle, how they bonded through trauma, how they managed the difficulty, that tends to be predictive of how they're going to do the future. Mm. So for me, long distance is just an obstacle. If it's an obstacle that you go, uh, problem, uh, difference, <laughs> uh, terrible, then that says more about you than it does about the problem. Right, but if you go, oh, we've created this system where we bond together every Thursday night at eleven o'clock. We talk consistently for an hour after ER. We maybe we talk about the show. I don't know if you guys are even old enough to remember ER, but I um, I am. Yeah. Yeah. But you know that was a that was like appointment television, and you kind of knew when it was over. It was, and I think the thing about us that worked was that we had really consistent themes and patterns. And the other thing I think that's cool about long distance is. It forces you into conversation, right? You can't just rely on sex or connection or good food or even just comfort. You have to actually learn how to talk to each other. Right. And so, I think there's a little bit of a benefit, sort of a forced hand, in long distance stuff because you have to sort of prove your prove your commitment, prove your worth, you know. Right. Versus it's this is easy because we're in proximity to each other.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah I, I think I it's that. something I've noticed when we are like distance, we like talk, talk more.
2: Yeah. So I've got another, I got a question for you You ever run into people that have like no problem with the distance with their uh, communication that like, it seems easier almost when you're at a distance than when you're together that like creating that safe space for a sensitive conversation becomes more difficult when you're in person face to face.
1: I think so. I mean, it's all different strokes for different folks. I mean, people, people find the way, I mean, I think there certainly are people that are wired to be more independent And then certainly people who are wired to be more interdependent, more connected to others. I think managing a long-term committed relationship is understanding how each partner has a tolerance for independence and interdependence. And then can you knit that together for one another? And Mm -hmm. so I think that's really just about a little bit of like sleuthing it out at the beginning, because most things in a relationship, most everything in a relationship isn't good, bad, right, wrong, up, down, left, right. I mean, you're an introvert, you're an extrovert, you're messy, you're neat, you're a spender, you're a saver. Those aren't good and bad independent of themselves. But when they collide with the other in a way that's not easy, then it takes some negotiating.
2: I guess maybe a better way to word it was how how to... uh create a safe space. If you know, like a partner can be triggered or a safe space to talk about a sensitive subject, like something. I think it's that- exactly
1: that you create the space. I mean, I've said this a million times. I know exactly how to guarantee a conversation is going to go poorly with my wife. <laughs> I, wait <till> she get, <laughs> I wait till she gets in the shower and I go to the next room and I turn on the television, probably a football game. I go to the next room, probably the kitchen, and I start doing something with pots and pans. And then I say, hey, I need to talk to you about this credit card bill. (laughs) And I know 100% that conversation is going to go bad Mm -hmm. for about five different reasons that I've already named. Yeah. (laughs) But if on the other hand, I say, if I wait till she gets out of the shower and I say, hey, uh, I need about 10 minutes of your time to talk about something that I don't understand that came up on this credit card bill. Do you think we could do it after dinner? I just have a couple of questions. You know, like she knows what we're talking about, why we're talking about it, what Mm. the context is. I think when when we eliminate those questions for people, the conversation becomes a lot easier. I mean, it just so how do you create a space, safe space? I don't know exactly, but you probably know how to create an unsafe space. So, That's it's really point. just about reverse engineering that. That's a great right. point. Yeah. So,
0: I guess it might one of my next questions, I guess kind of maybe it falls into this, but like helping couples manage conflict and disagreements like in a healthy way and i think you kind of essentially sort of at least began to sort of answer it well that's a tactical
1: piece of it right i mean the tactical piece is to make sure that you set the set the conversation up for success like i mean Mm -hmm. i think a lot of why i watched about 30 seconds of of your tv show and understood immediately that that it thrives on conflict because it takes place like in the moment like with the surprise and it got kind of there's this gotcha culture and it just doesn't that obviously doesn't work in a relationship. What you need right. to do is create you know, healthy boundaries. And and so we talked a little bit about that tactically. But I think I will always say there are three opportunities to mitigate conflict in a relationship. And one is before it ever starts. And mm-hmm. that's through the friendship. It's through the quality of the friendship and through regard and respect and consistency and predictability. Then during a conflict, there's some tactical things that you can do, right? There's some real um, tactically Do we? Do we know how to press pause? Do we know how to manage our own personal anxiety? Do we know how to apologize? Those sorts of things. And then, of course, the third time is after it's over. And I think this is actually where the real work is, is once you've had the conflict and everything is settled down, are you able to come back and look at it and go, hey, what do you think happened there? And what do we? What can we learn from that? And is there a way to set ourselves up for success in the future? That feels like the real work of kind of getting ahead of it. And then, of course, you have that after the conflict conversation Ideally, it draws you closer. I conflict, if it's really well done, it draws you closer.
0: Right. Um, I, I will say that's something um my personal therapist has has told me for years and years that there's no point in having an argument if you're not willing to learn something from it, to grow from it, become stronger together because it happened and we well, were able to that's why to we talk.
1: like makeup sex so much. Makeup sex is <laughs> yeah. like it's I mean, it's it's stand apart for a reason because it's like, right. oh, look what we've come through.
0: It's like this incredible bonding yeah. type feeling of intimacy. Yeah.
1: And then all of a sudden we're back at before it starts. And do uh-huh. we have, uh, do we, you know, we're still doing friendship. We're still doing regard and respect.
0: Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you guys about a product I've been loving lately, Lumi deodorant. As someone with sensitive skin, finding a deodorant that works without causing irritation can be a real challenge. But with Lumi, I finally found a solution that works for me. Plus, Lumi's unique formula doesn't just mask odor, it eliminates it, meaning I can feel confident and fresh all day long. The best part? Lumi offers a variety of other products that I've been using and loving, like their mini body wash and deodorant wipes, with free shipping on all orders and a special offer for just our listeners. You get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code DOTI at lumideodorant.com. It's never been easier to try out Lumi for yourself. So if you're ready to upgrade your deodorant game with a product that is gentle, effective, and free of harsh chemicals, head to LumiDeodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E, LumiDeodorant.com, and use code DOTI to save $5 on a Lumi Stark pack. Trust me, your skin will thank you.
2: What are some effective ways to build trust and in intimacy in a long-term relationship? You know, the intimacy kind of can die off. So I guess building trust would be more in the beginning.
0: We like to, Luke's favorite subject obviously is sex. And then my favorite subject is like the psychology behind why men yeah. and women think the way that they think and, yeah. and what is the difference. And Luke's like, but if we could talk about intimacy and sex, that's way more fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's fair, and I love that about it. I'll talk
1: about whatever you want. I think I think the the reality when it comes to trust, and I flip this on its head all the time with couples because person A will come in and say, "I don't trust person B." So maybe maybe Luke will say, "You know, I don't trust Kristen," and I go, "Okay, well, there's three things in play there. One is there's a trust gap. That means that the gap between I don't trust a, person A saying to person B, I don't trust you. That's painful, and so obviously if it's If it's a massive breach of trust, that's worse than if it's like, oh, you just never take the garbage out when you say you're going to. But the the gap itself is painful. So you're trying to minimize the gap, right? If there's a trust gap, you're trying to minimize that as much as possible. The other two things that are in play in there is that in the the example that I've said, it doesn't close because Kristen immediately does everything that Luke wants. And it also doesn't close because Luke goes, okay, fine, you do whatever you want. It closes Mm -hmm. because he builds his capacity for trust. And she demonstrates her capacity for trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. And as they're doing that simultaneously, the gap closes and it closes because of inertia. We're doing it. So he has to do some personal work to say, oh yeah, some of this is about me. Some of this is about the fact that I had an alcoholic parent or because my girlfriend cheated on me in college. That's, that's my stuff to deal with. Right. And then some of it has to be about her where she goes, yeah, I do have a little bit of a problem with time management or I do... I am a little sketchy with my money or yeah, maybe I do flirt too much. In any case, it's really about both of them closing the gap together inside of the relationship so that it's not strictly on her to conform to his idea of what trustworthiness looks like. And it's not strictly on him to just sort of go, well, I'm so committed to this relationship, I'll ignore all bad behavior. It comes in tandem as you're working together. And I think until couples realize that you build trust together by, you know, obviously that in the story I just told each of you is partner A and partner B, right? Mm -hmm. Each of you has an opportunity to say, I don't trust you for whatever reason. But, you know, trust around fidelity and monogamy or sexual loyalty or whatever, that's really different, of course, than trust around time management or what, uh, obviously there's just degrees and levels. And so part of it is, what do you mean? I don't trust you. Like, da, 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 I've never cheated on you. Well, maybe right. that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, are you who you say you are? And can I count on you to do the things that you say you're going to do? Right.
0: I just had another huh moment. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that huh moment. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, yeah, I think my brain the whole entire time was thinking, I guess I've never considered it like a trust factor in being like the time management or the, you know, the, I guess, lack of a better term, like the smaller degree of- Yeah. Well,
1: there's all these little breaches, right? There's all those little breaches of trust, you know? And it's like, can I count on you to do what you say you're going to do? I usually tell couples like every single thing, every single thing that happens in a relationship is either trust building or trust diminishing. And it might be be microscopic. Mm -hmm. It might be like tiny, tiny, tiny. But, you know, if you're on a meter- you can no, hover around zero if you part. want, or you can build, 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 build. And you do that by being on time and spending your money where you say you're going to spend your money. Remembering to say please and thank you. And like all of the little micro things, build up the equity in the account so that when there are yeah. the breaches, it's not a breach of character, it's a breach of circumstance. So when right. you are an hour late, I can go, oh my God, are you okay? I'm worried about you versus where the hell were you? What What's going on? You know, Because yeah. you're building up the trust equity and the, all of the little, little, little things.
2: That certainly hits home for us because I'll say (laughs) Kristen has definitely a habit of saying she's going to call or do something else. And I'm beginning to expect it to not happen. Yeah. (laughs) Just just dealing with it. Like, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, this stuff has just
0: come to a, a head for us. So it was really, um, you know, I had to take it in and say like, like hold accountability for myself and realize that something that may not feel, so big to me feels really big to him. Totally. I think that's something, you know, with with a lot of my friends and siblings and their relationships, that's something that people don't necessarily put enough of their effort into is like those really things that you may feel are very small, but just because it's small to you does not mean that it's small to your partner. It can actually be explosive.
1: To yeah. Your partner. Yeah. And you may be like, what's the big deal? It was only five minutes, or what's the big deal? Like yeah. I, I, I had to I had to be at work or whatever. And the reality is in a vacuum, maybe that's true. Right. Maybe it's real. But if it's a problem for your partner, it's a problem for the relationship. And that's where the two of you have to figure out, like, okay, what are we going to negotiate here? Because if the breaches are often enough, then I start to wonder, well, what can I count on you for? Well, if not right. this, then what about the next thing? Well, if not that, if it's only five minutes. Then what about seven minutes? And then when does seven minutes become 12 minutes? And then that's a problem. I don't, you know, obviously there's scope creep and slippery slopes and all that stuff, but that is in fact- you got to take care of the top of the slope.
2: Totally, And your trust bank analogy is so perfect. And I agree with that wholly. And that like, it's following through on the little things over and over. So when one time it doesn't happen, it's not like it's way more understandable. It Mm -hmm. doesn't go the other direction where it diminishes to the point where you don't expect it anymore. It's like empty promises. You don't want to get to the point where you believe or you don't believe any promises. Right?
0: Yeah. That's a really good point, Luke, actually. I was going to ask you just about like warning signs, red flags. I mean, obviously we, I, I guess I'm talking, not like, obviously, if you if your partner is being, you know, is cheating on you or abusive and things that are like of that magnitude, I think that speaks for itself. But I guess if we could go a little more like smaller, more specific, as far as like red flags, warning signs that your relationship could really be faltering and in kind of deep shit, to be honest. And I'm curious, like what some of those signs are warning, you know, red flags look like.
1: I think the generic answer is, is when the friendship is in trouble. I just don't like this person. I'm um, like yeah. kind of, there's just a, a residue of like just sort of discontent at, because in the research, there's this whole thing that's, that are called bids and turning, right? And so right. a bid is anytime that you're trying to make an attempt to get your partner's attention. And what happens is uh, couples who are doing well, they tend to turn toward bids about 86% of the time. Couples that are struggling, they turn toward bids about a third of the time. So there's about a 60% gap that you can kind of pay attention to scientifically I guess okay. but the, but what's hidden in there is like are you still paying attention to one another like do you still does your partner still deserve and is worthy of your responses like when that starts to fade and die and we start to live parallel lives or feel like roommates or we start to just like that's can be a real warning sign because it's it is in fact the top of the slippery slope because if i'm if i'm making a bid to you if i say good morning to you and you don't say good morning back two things are going to happen First of all, I'm going to say, I'm going to stop saying good morning to you. Second of all, when I go get my coffee, I'm going to say good morning to the cute barista. And the cute barista is going to go, good morning. How was your day? I'm going to go, my day was fantastic. Thank you so much. And I'm going to start leaning into that energy. So again, you got to protect the top of the slope. And the top of the slope is the basic fundamental regard around bids and attention. Like I got you. I got your back. I'm for you. I'm pro you. I hear you. I'm listening to you. That doesn't mean I do everything you say all the time. Right. It means I I appreciate that you're speaking and that you you are a person in my life that needs my attention.
0: Right. And so do you think in your experience, like if, Going back to what you were saying um, a couple minutes ago about like when couples get into that slippery slope of the glorified roommates thing. I mean, I've been there for sure yeah, yeah. in past relationships. Do you think that that is already, if they're living parallel lives and they're not really spending time together and they're not putting in the work and they're essentially glorified roommates, do you think that's already like the beginning of the end or is there any hope for that coming back? Oh if,
1: no, gosh, there's always hope. Okay. There's always hope. Like
0: if they're both I think it, to do the work.
1: In. I think it's all clues, right? It's all just clues. Um, it's not the beginning and the end. It's more like, hey, this needs our attention. We better pay attention, you know, now. And then, what are we going to do with that? Because I wouldn't be in my business if I didn't believe there was hope. I mean, there are certainly times when I go, nope, there's no hope. Like, right. you guys, you're wasting your time. Don't even bother. But not, not in most cases.
2: Yeah, I have a, I have a friend that uh, I referenced earlier. They have been married for like 20 years now, and when they went to therapy, the, one of the first questions was like are you guys still having sex they said they get some people that come in and haven't had sex in five or six years and they said those very low chance of coming back because like intimacy has been dead for that long you're living as roommates it's hard to come back from that is what this therapist told my friend and you agree with that stance
1: oh no, i think no. i think that it's all hard you know there's a there's a big kind of famous joke in the couples therapy business which is you know sex. Drops off dramatically after the birth of the second of the birth of the first child, but don't worry, it bounces back immediately after the last child leaves home. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. like
0: maintaining
1: <laughs> maintaining a healthy sex life is challenging, particularly when limerence but wears off, like when the novelty and the newness wears off. But I think couples that are, have a really really strong friendship and who makes sex a priority, they they do great. They do really yeah. great you're not statistically subject to kind of the, the nature of whatever sex is Um, people who are really good at maintaining their friendship and, and for whom sex is a priority, they have tremendously satisfactory sex lives, but those two things are clinically understood to be part of the equation
0: self-care and well-being. I talk about it all the time. So if you are looking for a way to support your overall health and well-being, look no further than Organifi. With its high quality superfood blends, Organifi is the perfect way to nourish your body and give it the nutrients that it needs to thrive. One of my absolute personal favorites is the green juice blend. Oh, so good. It's packed with organic greens, herbs, and other superfoods to help you feel energized and refreshed. But that's not all. Organifi also offers a range of other blends to support your health goals, from the red juice blend for antioxidant support to the gold blend for restful sleep. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Superfoods can be way expensive, right? But with Organifi, you can experience the benefits without breaking the bank. Hallelujah. Head over to Organifi.com slash Dodie. That's dot com slash Dodie and use code Dodie for 20% off your entire order. Don't wait. Try Organifi today and take the first step toward a healthier you.
2: I got a question about finances. So okay. do you think marriages have a better chance of making it with like shared bank accounts and total financial transparency or is that I don't not, think it matters. Don't think it matters at all. I think I
1: think I think that you can I, here's what I mean. If I tell you the answer to that question based on where I think you should put your money, you could still be total assholes about your money. And it doesn't matter if it's in separate accounts or in joint accounts. What you need to be is somebody you, you what you need is people who have really clear idea of what their shared vision is, what their shared values and goals are. And then money is just a resource to help pursue those. Yep. So, if part of your shared vision is autonomy, then you might be better by having separate accounts. But if part of your shared vision is, say, generosity, and you want to put everything into a pot and then distribute it as productively as you can, but money is just a, a target or an example of where the relationship reality is. I think two conversations need to be had about money. One is with your financial advisor, mm-hmm. who can help you understand specifically the math related to your goals and your dreams and your your risk tolerance. Then the other one was really about what money means to you and how does it work and how do you intend to use it and what do you want to accomplish with it? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And that's a separate conversation altogether. And then when you knit those two conversations together, you can go, oh, we need 17 accounts or one account or mm-hmm. whatever. I, I do think there are some basic principles in play around accountability and transparency, uh, particularly for people who are reliant on one another. But no, I don't think there's a right answer to whether or not you should have a single checkbook or different checkbooks.
0: Why is it and is this even true? I mean, I feel like pretty much everyone has heard like, you know, divorces tend to happen over like ABCD, like certain specific yeah. things, money being one of them. Yeah. I think like loss is is one um, yeah. Usually, like a death or something of that nature that can cause a lot of stress. Things that cause stress, essentially, but money being one of them. Like, what are your thoughts on that? That it could cause such I a I think
1: I think divorce happens because people care more about X than they do about staying married.
2: Mm. Right.
1: And if X is money, then okay. If X is sex with other people, okay. If X is, I don't like how you get along with my family or I don't like your personality. And so I know that's a really, really simple way to put it. But in my office, people are talking about divorce. I'm like, look, you got two options. You stay in this relationship and you do the work to make it better or you leave. And people sometimes, when when given that option, they'll go, no, it's actually more important to me to protect my finances or my... And listen, I think sometimes X is a really, really good reason. Mm -hmm. My self-esteem, my safety, my dignity, My happiness in life. You know, I think those are fine things to be committed to. And then if you can vet that against the relationship and go, oh, I can't maintain those things while being in this relationship, then divorce maybe is the right option. So I'm not anti divorce. And sometimes it's unconscious. I'm more committed to my own autonomy than I am to being married. And so I'm sabotaging by making everything impossible. Mm. that's still you caring more about your own autonomy than it is about you caring about the marriage. Right. Right.
2: I I definitely had my ambition get in the way of past relationships. I haven't been married before, but definitely have been like this. My business is more important than you, you know, (laughs) and as bad as that may sound, that's where I was in life. And it didn't, it obviously didn't make for a very healthy relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm the same way. I mean, and honestly, if I think about year eight and 18 for me, I probably could could point at the same sort of thing. Like I was more committed to X than I was to maintaining the, the, like the health and wellness of my relationship. And then I got a good look at the consequences and the options and decided, no, I'd rather, I'm gonna put the work in. And I'm really glad I did. I think, I think the cool right. thing about that statistic that I offered you is that people on the other side of seven years generally report an increase in marital satisfaction as they go along. So I think if you're gonna get out, get out early. But if you really want to be in a healthy relationship, it is more a marathon than a sprint, but it's also just running and evaluating the run as you're going. The reason I say it's not really a a marathon is because if you're running a marathon, you're halfway through. You can go, okay, I'm I'm halfway through. Right. Oh, I've only got two more miles. or only got six more miles. You can't really do that in a relationship. That's kind of a shitty way to be in a relationship, which is to go, up. I'm going to do this for 26 years, you know, (laughs) 26.2 years. And then, you know, halfway, you're like, well, I only got
2: half got less left than I had before, you know, like that's not, who wants to do that?
0: No, right. totally.
2: So do you have suggestions for couples considering taking the leap, like stuff to do before actually getting married, like pre-marriage counseling or some things <laughs> that they should check off a list before they make that leap? So well, like, I just don't, I'm up. not,
1: I'm, I'm anti-checking off a list, right? Like I think, I think I a lot that. of people who come in for premarital marital counseling, that's exactly what they're doing. They're going, Hey, can right. we, my pastor said we should do this, or my parents said we should do this. And a lot of people build their premarital counseling, like kind of offerings around, okay, we're going to talk about sex, money, in-laws, household chores, and da, da, da. And somehow you've checked off the list. Well, you haven't, you haven't even gotten close. I think what you ought to do is get into a relationship with a therapist who is going to be able to walk with you, be able to kind of stand with you. I think if you're going to commit to sort of premarital therapy, uh, you know, I think you ought to commit to post-marital therapy. And we live in a world right now where a lot of people are in relationships that look like marriages without being married. Like maybe even like you guys, like there's sort of, we're already sleeping together. We already have a dog. We already have a shared finance situation. We already. So part of it, I think is really getting articulate about what you actually think a relationship is, Mm -hmm. um, versus just being in a relationship. A lot of times we call it, um, there's a, there's a dilemma when it's sliding versus deciding. So people will slide into a relationship because, oh, this is cool. And we're, well, we're spending the night at each other's house anyway. So my lease is about to expire. Why don't we move in? And, oh, I mean, gosh, now after. we're pregnant. And, well, why don't, why don't we get married? And like there's sort of this sliding energy that I right. think is we're recognizing and it's kind of unhealthy, but I think you can still put decisions in there. Mm-hmm. We're going to decide, we're going to decide this. We're going to decide that. And I think deciding to do therapy can be really helpful, but honestly deciding to, you know, read a book together or listen to marriage therapy radio or whatever is more helpful than I think than, than nothing obviously. Um, right. But I, I think it still comes back to the couple. Cause I know people who go to the gym five times a week and ha- getting no results because they go to the gym to take pictures and, you know, and meet their friends. But, you know, there are other people who go to the gym once a week and they get the input they need from their trainer and they, they do some real work and they tweak some things and they go home and then they put that into practice and they do a little bit of, you know, diet management and they do run on their own and stuff. And those people are getting way more results from the gym than the people who are going to the gym all the time.
0: That's a really good analogy, actually. Taking what you're learning from therapy or let's say your podcast. Yeah. Do you put it in place? Yeah. And then, yeah, the constant practice of that, not just the practice. I think that's something that I've learned like pretty quickly on too, is like, it's not the practice, like in the time of struggle, in the time of the fight or the disagreement, it's like the before and the after that is like the most important.
2: Yeah, totally. So Kristen, you've used therapy as a uh, like analogy to like a toolbox. You know, To you go to therapy, they you yeah, the tools. Yeah. That's to what I say. Situations. It's like, my
0: therapist gives me tools to put in my toolkit. So that way, when I'm in those moments in my life, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not calling her on like a, you know, a, a yeah. freak out or a text. I'm going, now I have this tool. I know what to do with this tool in this moment.
1: Yeah. Too. I say it to couples all the time. I think people come in and they say, we want some tools. And I'm like, that's great. Cause I'm home Depot. Yeah, <laughs> I got all the tools. I got yeah. I got a lot of experience. I got a lot of understanding of the research. I got a lot of practice. I've been married myself, so I I understand. I what do you What do you need? And I think it, where where couples get in trouble is they don't know what they're building. And so if you if you're going to come in and go, I need some tools, you go great. What are you building? What are you working right. on? What do you want to accomplish? What would make your relationship better? If I said to you guys in a week, if we got on again, and I said, How's it going, you guys? And you go, It's going a lot better. How would you even know? What would you even be describing? Right. Is it less conflict? Is it more sex? Is it deeper conversation? Is it more time together? All of those things, are like you might go all of those things. Well, they're all also just different for different couples based on wherever they're at in their kind of timeline.
0: How do right. you feel about love languages? Some people think, think it's like so cliche. And I just kind of, as of this year, had this different understanding of love languages and mine have changed over the years. But I, I think, so I'm just curious your thoughts on this, but my opinion now stands is like, really it's not like what language in in which I like to give as it is what language my partner yeah, it's prefers both. to receive
1: it's both because yeah. my
0: giving language does not always vibe with the way Luke and
1: you know what's wild about that is that's yeah. kind of like you're speaking Japanese but you understand German
0: uh-huh <laughs> meanwhile he yeah. may
1: be speaking Portuguese but understands Icelandic right and so in that in that scenario I think people who love each other would kind of. I'll try to learn as much German as I can, or I'll try to learn some Japanese, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how to, you know, and we we make it work because that's how you do it, you know. That's how you would do it if you needed to. The thing about love languages as a metaphor is, you know, Gary Chapman got famous by writing this book about five love languages, and there's, you know, he turned it into a franchise. You can get like you know five love languages for your dog now and whatever I mean, but there's probably 500. There's probably 500 love languages, and so I think learning. As much as you can about your partners and how to speak that language on their behalf is an act of love. And in fact, if you said, Hey, my love language is I really like to be thanked for stuff. This is actually me. Zach likes to be thanked. And my wife is one of these people who doesn't want to thank you for stuff you're supposed to do anyway. Like she's just (laughs) that's just kind of how she's conditioned. But she has under she has come to understand that when she thanks me, I get a double bump. I get the thanks, which is just part of what my body wants. But then I also get the fact, the evidence that my partner is doing something that she doesn't want to do because it makes me feel good. And that's mm. trust building. That takes that, that's it. And so she could very easily go, look, that's not how we did it in my house. We didn't say thank you in my house. We worked hard for what we got and like da, 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 da. And I would be like, cool. Good story.
0: <laughs> You're like, I still would I, like to be
1: thanked. Yeah. You know, I didn't grow that? up in
0: that house. This is what I need. Yeah. So it's the fact that not only did she, do that, which she knows you love, but she went beyond what her normalcy feels because she knows it. That small gesture would mean so much to you. It's
1: very loving. And you know, we do this, we do this by the way, way easier when it comes to say sex and uh, like physicality. So if if you're having sex and your lover goes right there, right there, faster, faster, what do you do?
0: You do it. it. You stay
1: right there and you go faster Yeah, because you're a good and responsive lover. That's what you do. But if your partner says, hey, I'd really like you to thank me more often, sometimes we go, well, I don't know. Uh, why would I thank you? That's not what we did. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's stupid what we like yeah. that we do that in our heads sometimes. But part of, I think, staying in a long-term committed relationship is letting your partner know what makes you feel good and then being a good and responsive lover to mm-hmm. meet them in that place, even if it's not your thing. You know, you might be like, oh, actually, I'd like to go slower right now. Slower right. is actually what I'd want to do. But what you're saying at that point is I care more about my pleasure than yours. Mm-hmm. There's a time for that, but it's also a message.
0: Right. Whew. Really.
2: Whew. <laughs> You're pretty groundbreaking.
0: I uh, like for real, Zach, this is like,
2: yeah, sorry. <laughs> Not, don't apologize.
0: Don't say sorry. <laughs> we're giving you like a hard <laughs> hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My brain's exploding a little bit. Yeah. Over here.
2: So as far as those tools we were talking about, do you have uh, some simple tools to cope with stress and anxiety in relationships?
1: I think this is a really important question that happens, comes up a lot. Yeah. Stress is a killer for relationships, particularly external stress, because when external stress becomes like gains influence over the relationship, like your boss or the dog that barks outside or your commute or the long distance, like those are things that are being imposed upon you. And, it, and, it, and you need systems that help you protect from external stress. One of the things that we often will recommend is that you just create kind of to your question earlier about how do you create a safe space that you actually create a safe space where you can de-stress. And if I'm giving you kind of the clinical answer, sometimes we recommend that you have a conversation where there's one purpose and the purpose is to reduce stress. And you might even say, I need a stress-reducing conversation right now so that one of you can go, wah, 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 about all the things that are bothering you. And the other one goes, yeah, totally. Your commute is horrible. Yep. Oh, man, your boss is a jerk. I get it. Yeah, growing older is harder. Ding, it's over. There's no solution. There's no taking your boss's side. There's no pivoting. There's no have you thought about, because all of that raises stress. Again, I think you have an option in that specific conversation to show your partner, I can do this. I got you. Right. I'm pro you right now.
0: Yeah. Like I don't want advice. I just need you to listen.
1: Yeah. And I think we're not, I think that that cliche exists a lot, but I think it, it's really hard to understand when to use that, which is why I think you should just ask. Right. Like, Hey man, I just need 10 minutes. All I'm going to do is vent. And all I need you to do is, is agree with everything I say. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 And then <laughs> so when
1: you do it, when you do it, even despite your best instincts, because you might be like, you know, you, I've been telling you for a year you should quit that job. Right. I've been telling you for – like, that's not stress-reducing.
0: No. Right. This is fantastic because I, I could even hear the me and me – the old me and me go – well, but I can't yeah. just like keep, you know. Like I'm already sitting here thinking of the rebuttal that I probably would have said before. Yeah. But I just know from experience, like everything I think about it almost like so
1: true. Think about and it.
0: It's not putting up, letting someone get away with murder all the time because I do think you have to hold each other accountable and hold totally yourself accountable. But sometimes you don't have to do that. Like you're not a parent, be a partner.
1: Yeah, we know how to do this, and and the, if you think about it, like if you're walking down the street and somebody's like hey, I want you to vote for my guy. And you think that guy is full of crap. And you're like, no, your guy's full of crap. And what about this? And what about the other thing? You would do that. You could do that with the, with a certain part of your brain. But if that same person walked into your political science class and was like, hey, today I'm going to tell you about this guy. And uh, you have a test on Thursday. You immediately suspend the part of your brain that needs to go, well, what about, and da, 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 and have you thought of, and you take notes and you just listen. And you just listen yeah. and you write it down because you want to pass the test on Thursday. And what yeah. I'm saying is passing the test is staying connected to your partner, which means sometimes you need to suspend the part of your brain that wants to go, well, what about, and yeah, but, and, but you, you know, right. we want to stay connected because staying connected is the, is the secret in a long-term committed relationship.
0: And scorekeeping is never going to keep you connected. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean,
1: I always say if one of you is winning, then the relationship is losing.
0: Yeah. That's a good line. That's a great line. I, like it.
1: I think sometimes the best way to end an argument is to call Rochambeau and go rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And then somebody wins, somebody loses. And then can we get some ice cream?
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Got it, Luke. That's what yeah. we're doing for now.
1: I mean, seriously, yeah. if you guys are in a conversation, if you're in a conflict and it's the same conflict you're in all the time and it's boring and old and just not going anywhere, and you know how it's going to end with just somebody slamming a door or something. And one of you goes Rochambeau and you go, fine, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And then you win. And then you're the one who has to dish up the ice cream. That's it. You're done. Yeah. Because you're obviously not trying to accomplish anything. Right. So why don't you just accomplish getting some ice cream?
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just bickering you know? sometimes. Yeah, the same stuff. Over and
1: sometimes the- you need to bicker, right? Like I think back to this idea that, like, when you go into a long-term committed relationship, but you do get these two privileges that you don't get elsewhere. And one of them is that you can solicit sex anytime you want, which you can't, <laughs> which you can't do at the grocery store or at your job or at the soccer field, right? right. And the other one is that you can bicker and whine and moan and argue which you can't do at the grocery store or at your job or at on the soccer field. Like, But I think both of them should end in intimacy, right? Both of those privileges should end and we feel closer. So sometimes you do need to bicker because it's just, you're the safest person I have.
0: I was curious, so your thoughts on that, because I notice it's something that I can tend to do not not to say I think I'm I've learned over years I'm 40 now so I'm I'm old, but You're I've learned. Over, <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> sweet of you, um, but I've learned over the years like to not you know a lot of people you take out on your partner like most of your day because it is the person closest to you and I don't think that I like take things out on Luke but I do notice like complaining racketing bitching about things to him that don't have to do with him but i think yep. that, like where's that healthy balance where it's because it can be draining it can be kind of like soul sucking
1: i guess unless you're like luke's like i got you go ahead you got 10 minutes bitch all you want i'm Ooh, pro so you
2: we have set a timer and be pro i'm pro. on it
1: <laughs> i got it ding and then we hug we say yeah. I'm, I'm pro you let's let's put this to bed let's go do something fun right you know
2: so- I guess where I hit a wall, though, is when it's the same thing, like you're saying, when it's like the same fight or whatever you bicker over, yeah. but it's not necessarily that. It's like complaining over the same thing and nothing being external done about it. Stress. Same external, yeah. but nothing, no no attempt at a solution, no suggestion yeah. taken or whatever. It just like, it gets harder to hear the same thing. Yeah. Well, when I,
1: what I usually say to that is that, like, again, there's a time and a place. I think on Saturday morning when you're on your walk and you go, hey, babe, last week you came home five days in a row and you complained about the same exact thing. I think it's time for us to look for a solution. Like, I think we need to do that. And I'm, I'm willing to help. I want you to, I just want you to know that I listened to you for five days. For five days in a row, you told me how you hated your job. Yeah. And I think we need to get serious about looking for a new job. Why That's is that a, so hard to do?
2: <laughs> what, for, I think, to have that conversation. To, to, mean? To, I mean, to have the patience and then have the conversation and bring it up in that way. If it's been like such a passionate kind of like complaining or, or big, external stress. Because you're
1: playing the short game. It's hard because you're playing the short game. You got to play the long game. Yeah, being in a long-term community relationship is saying, "Hey, I see where this is headed, and I need to figure out how to play this card, but I can't play it until Saturday." You know. But we want to. We 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 live in a culture right now that is inviting us to play the short game all the time. You know. I mean, it is literally like that. Is what is happening right now, TikTok or whatever, you know, and everything looks like it's supposed to be wrapped up in 22 minutes or 48 minutes, whatever right. the length of a television show is, but no, we got to play the long game. And it's so, it's hard because we're tempted to play the short game all the time. If I, I could fix this right now, but you can't fix it right now. You can't, you can't fix it until you're connected
0: okay that yeah makes sense. i just took that to heart <laughs> that I, makes sense. i'm the
1: fixer yeah. <laughs> Fix
0: i would have fixed it now
1: yeah it would be great it'd be great you can't fix it though unless you have permission and yeah you, you don't get permission until you Ooh. show that you're connected
0: i feel like we just went to therapy together we yeah did. you did hell yeah <laughs> Zach, that was like great. that was
1: like my greatest hit right there so
0: that um, was oh my god well yeah i had a lot of huh huh what? I'm glad for
1: that. Thank you for wow so.
0: moments. This was so much fun. Thank yeah. you for being on, even though you're not feeling great. Yeah, no, you're the best, and I would. We would absolutely love to have you. Well, and Laura Laura's a lot again. of fun.
1: You guys should definitely have her uh, back, yes. if not both of us. And um, yeah, I
0: would love to have both of you and and see you two bounce off of each other as well. We do that <laughs> quite a bit. So awesome. Um, are you on social media?
1: I'm not personally. The podcast is, it's called Marriage Therapy Radio. You can follow us there. Uh, You can find me at zachbrittle.com, which is just my first and last name, but the dot-com. And, um, you know, Google, you can find anybody on Google. So
0: Yeah. It's Z-A-C-H and then brittle. Like Like fragile. Yeah. B-R-I-T-T-L-E. Yeah. So follow Zach. And then we, yeah, again, we thank you so much for this. It was so much fun yeah, so enlightening so fucking eye-opening <laughs> cool. cool cool heart opening soul opening brain exploding and yeah very um, good
1: i'm glad would for love it. to
0: have you guys on again i'm glad it worked out Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Make sure to follow us on social media. You can follow me on all platforms at Kristen Doty and follow Luke on Instagram at Luke double underscore Broderick. Be sure to click the subscribe button so you can stay up to date with new episodes every single Wednesday. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.